0: good morning and good afternoon welcome to another episode of before coffee it is friday let's end the week on some updates on pergozin and of course our our daily squeal of fortune wheel is going to be rolled so we're going to find out which trump uh friend of trump is getting uh what their story is and their arrest and whatever updates on we'll that. Yeah.
1: The we'll people believe that the
0: election was stolen. We're gonna look at those guys. Yeah. And.
1: Uh, <laughs> we we'll do that in headlines, man.
0: Yeah, we'll do it in the headline. We, we won't do it on the headlines, or we will do it on the headlines.
1: That's what headlines are for.
0: Okay. And let's get started. Um, Today on Before Coffee Where would my stories go? Here they are Today on Before Coffee (laughs) Lars von Trier Defends Russian Lives Matter Also comment
1: Oh and Subway sandwich chain Has been sold
0: War identity and irony How Russian aggression put Central Europe Back on the map
1: And in Scottish history, we look at what Bonnie Prince Charlie probably looked like.
0: Intelligence services report aeroplane Pergozin was not shut by missile.
1: And I hear that Trump a-comin'. He's coming down to the pen. And we ain't seen a decent news story since I don't know when, but now he's stuck in Fulton Prison. Well, he's not really stuck there, but it kind of really just kind of rhymes. And we look at Trump's co-conspirators today again on the squeal of fortune on what is known as Secondhand Wardrobe Day, August 25th, 2023 on Before Coffee.
0: Oh, I want to right. be John this... Cleese. No, was it? That was a pretty long intro. I, I was. I'm here for an I was, argument. No, I, had pause. I had to pause the countdown. Okay. Oh. Our first, <laughs> first article today. We're t- I'm talking all about Russia today. It's Russia here, Central Europe there, because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the big news, really. Russia's making a turning point here with Prokozin's supposedly reported death, which I think everyone has agreed is highly likely that he's dead. There's no argument. Why would they lie?
1: Yeah.
0: By the way, who knows?
1: But first, let's <laughs> who talk knows about the filmmaker,
0: the Danish filmmaker, I think, who on social media has says Russian lives matter also, which is fair. The civilians living in Russia did not ask to invade Ukraine, as far as I know there wasn't a ref- referendum that they voted you know let's invade Ukraine I'm pretty sure Putin did it as a surprise attack and nobody knew it was gonna gonna happen so Danish filmmaker and provocateur Lars von Trier has vetted himself from backlash after writing a social media post criticizing Denmark's donation of the f-16 fighters to Ukraine this is from Sean Sean pain and agencies Russian lives matter also, he wrote on Instagram on Tuesday, after Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky visits to Denmark, where he and Danish Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen expected the F-16s to be delivered to his country. Volunteer addressed his post to Mr. Zelensky and Mr. Putin, and not least Mrs. Frederiksen, who yesterday, like someone head over here's in love, posed in the cockpit of one of the scariest killing machines of our time, grinning from ear to ear. That's what he said tiered disabled comments on the post, no kidding, but it attracted the attention of Russian and Ukrainian media. Oleksii Ole, Danilov, head of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council, shared the director's post, writing on Twitter, "War is not a movie where actors play life and death. Behind every living Russian terrorist, there is a dead Ukrainian. The choice between executioner and the victim becomes a tragedy when the artist chooses the side of the executioner. Ukraine doesn't live in abstraction, but in cruel reality in which Russians are murderers. A simple piece of advice for a famous director, imagine that it is Russia's missile that is flying into city every day, that his father or mother was killed, his grandson was taken to Russia, and that a Russian looter raped his wife before burning down his house. In this case, the abstraction of hypothetical humanism takes on a completely different feature, real, not fictional life. This is true, Russians are the ones who are bombing. Every single day, every, multiple times during the day. So I'm not exactly sure how getting F-16s, which are meant to help shoot down those missiles and create a more defensive air line of defense, would be a threat to Russians. As far as I know, they're not planning on using the F-16s to bomb the entirety of Russia. They're using them as a defensive mm-hmm. strategy. So yeah, I don't know. I'd think yeah, I think you had too much wa- cups of wine or drink too much or something and then went on social media and then posted something that is not at all fitting to what's actually happening which is a defensive air strategy that's it on thursday the 67 year old director wrote that supports ukraine with every beat of his heart i was just stating the obvious that all lives in this world matter a forgotten phrase it seems for a time when passivism pacifism was a virtue ah oh, it's like a what lives matter too it's like no one said it didn't matter <laughs> just because yeah. i what did you say yesterday the right. zero sum strategy just because i said something doesn't mean that negates right. what you say <laughs> Negates yeah. something else yeah.
1: it's like somebody says well Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback and he got to interject well tom brady's a quarterback too i was like yeah but he ain't part of the discussion you know it's just kind of like you know we're not gonna let's bring everybody up else up that's actually yeah. been ever, ever offended
0: sure. <clears throat> okay sorry um the Danis press also questioned the remarks from the director who in 2011 caused a storm when he said he understood hitler during a press conference at the Keynes film yeah. festival he was expelled by organizers and subsequently investigated by Danish police, and later apologized for the mark. It was really tough, he told The Guardian in 2018. On the bureau, f- von Thier made also made headlines last week when he shared a video advertising his desire for a girlfriend and a muse. I am 67 years old. I have Parkinson's, OCD, and at the moment, controlled alcohol, alcoholism. Aha! Aha! It all reveals itself. He admits he has alcoholism. In short, with any luck, I should still have a few decent movies left in me, he said, as the video shared on Instagram count. All this is meant as an old-school contact ad, where I, without knowing the least about social media, am looking for a female girlfriend muse, and despite all the whining, I still insist that on a good day, in the right company, I've been quite charming partner. Thank you for your infinite patience. One of the biggest stars of Danish Cinema, volunteer, has directed more than 14 films, often disturbing and violent. Known for his dark sense of humor, he won the... Homme d'Orcans in 2000 for The Dancer in the Dark. Though so, poor, poor guy, you know, drinks too much, has Parkinson's, and he just wants a girlfriend. But maybe don't say that like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe not.
0: He's coming off a little bit too blunt and direct, which a lot of people do not like, especially Americans, to be fair, so... There's our... Well, that's it for my story. It ends there.
1: He said something, he had a little
0: too much of rum and coke, and then he said too much on social media. Yep.
1: Okay. On economic news in America, well, it actually affects the world because this is one of your world's biggest franchisers. Subway has been sold. According to Associated Press, sandwich, let's try to talk first. My first attempt at talking today, so bear with me. Sandwich chain Subway will be sold to fast food investor Rourke Capital. I wonder if that's related to that movie, The Fountainhead, or that book The Fountainhead. You know, the main character was named Rourke.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Rourke. Yeah, he was an um, architect. The Subway logo is seen on takeout boxes at a restaurant in L- uh, just for a picture. I'm reading a picture caption. Oh, wonderful! Okay. <laughs> Subway said Thursday it will be sold to Rourke Capital, a private equity firm with expertise in restaurant management that could be could help the sandwich chain expand and improve its stores. In terms of the deal were disclosed weren't disclosed earlier in the week. The Wall Street Journal reported that the Atlanta bl- based Rourke was offering around $9.6 billion for Subway, which is privately owned. Subway CEO John Chidze, who joined the company in 2019, said the deal reflects Subway's long-term growth potential and the value of the brand. Subway plans, plans to continue to modernize restaurants and expand internationally under Rourke's ownership. Subway said its leadership team will remain in place. Rourke is a private equity firm with... 30, $37 billion in assets under management. It specialized in franchise businesses and backs two holding companies that own multiple restaurant chains, inspire brands. The parent of Arby's, Duncan, Duncan, Jimmy John's and Buffalo Wild Wings and focus brands, which owns Auntie Anne's Caraval and Jamba. I think the yeah, I mentioned Arby's. Some already giving them money. Subway, which has dual headquarters in Miami and Connecticut, was founded in 1965 and is still owned by its founding families. It's, new. it's now one of the world's largest restaurant chains with 37,000 outlets in more than 100 countries. But in the U.S., it's been losing market share in recent years to fast-growing rivals like Panera and Firehouse Subs, which feature more variety varied menus and newer stores. Subway currently controls about 23% of the $43 billion U.S. sandwich and deli market, according to Technomic, a consulting company. That's down from 34% in 2017. Subway has been trying to catch up. In 2021, it's refreshed this menu last year. announced a line of chef-developed sandwiches after finding that customer's noisy. Noisy vehicle out there. Okay, after finding that customers were tiring of Subway's traditional model of letting customers build their own sandwiches. Really? That's why you go there. But in February, Subway announced it was exploring a sale. Subway has some momentum going into the acquisition. In July, the company says Global's same store sales or sales of locations opened in the least a year were up 9.8% from the prior, prior year. The company has remodeled 10,000 of its U.S. restaurants and recently spent $80 million to provide 20,000 U.S. restaurants with deli meat slicers, a first for the brand. So, the meat slicers are the new thing. Okay, so that's the story. And do we have the wheel?
0: Yes, we have the wheel.
1: We have the wheel. We will spin the wheel. All
0: right, the wheel is on screen and we're spinning it.
1: I just don't see it, so you have to tell me. Okay. Now
0: I'm going to tell you.
1: All right. And our, these are our Trump co-conspirators of the day. And the squeal. We
0: are covering David Schaefer. Who? David Schaefer.
1: David Schaefer. I have not heard that name, but we will look it up during the intermission.
0: Okay. My story then while you do that.
1: Okay. All righty.
0: My second story is an opinion piece by... Jacques Rupnik and it's about how Russia's aggression has put Central Europe back on the map because in a way Central Europe has always been forgotten and right. when I was studying European studies in university we actually learned that for a long time it was just West and East especially during the Cold War there was no Central Europe there's no middle Either West and East and that line could be drawn wherever somebody felt like it is it in the middle of Berlin? Is it past Germany? Where does the East start and the West begin? But now, the Central European political entity is coming back up in a moment that will, because of a uh, famous uh, Czech writer Milan Kundera. Are you a dissident? A general asked Milan Kundera when he had become exiled in France from his native Czechoslovakia in the mid-1970s. No, I am a writer, replied the author of The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Not that he was indifferent to the plight of those who were opposing the Czech regime from inside, but he was wary of political labels being attached to a novel, and more generally to literature with a message, to art in the service of political idea. Yet Kundera, who died last month, was a man of ideas, which he explored particularly in his essay, The Most Influential Being, A Kidnapped West, Tragedy of Central Europe, published in Paris in 1983 and republished in English earlier this year. Yes, I remember reading it. I probably 100% had to read this because I definitely did an entire course on Central Europe. Central Europe, Kundera argued, belonged culturally to the West, politically to the East, and geographically in the center. The predicament of the small nations between Russia and Germany was that their existence was not self-evident, but remained closely tied to the vitality of their culture, and historically intertwined with the West from which they had been kidnapped in 1945. By putting Central Europe on the map again, Kundera challenged and then the then prevailing misconceptions of the region, seen only through the prism of the primacy of ideological East-West divide. This seminal essay sparked an Europe-wide debate in the 1980s and contributed to a change not only in the region's self-perception, but also the Western Europe's mental map of the continent. A key element of this change was the discreet discovery of the varied cultural legacies of Central Europe, but the most controversial issue was the 1980s debate concerning the region's relationship with Russia, which was and remains its main constitutive other, Germany being the other one. So, among whom the borders and densities of Central Europe were shaped. Yeah, so, you got basically how the other works, which I'm sure some people already know, is you've got somebody, you need somebody to compare yourself to. That's just, unfortunately, how human nature works. We need to know what we are by comparing ourselves to something we aren't. Okay? So, for right. Central Europe, Russia and Germany have been those two figures. We aren't like Russia because we don't do this. We're not like Germany because we don't do this. But that's what defines Central Europe. A most telling illustration of the ways cultural identities become intertwined with political ones, with echoes of current discussions of post-colonialism, can be found in a memorable debate in Lisbon in 1988, involving writers from Central Europe, including Jesla Milosand, Georgi Konrad, and from Russia. Though Kundera was physically absent, his essay was very much part of the debate. Joseph Brodsky, the exiled poet from Leningrad, Criticized Kundera's concept of Central Europe as an imagined community with no substance. In the name of literature, there is no such thing as Central Europe. There is Polish literature, Czech literature, Slovak literature, Serbo-Croatian literature, Hungarian literature, and so forth. It is impossible to speak about this concept. Even in the name of literature, it's an oxymoron. So, during the 1980s, the Central European idea moved from culture, or culture to politics, from the Kundera moment to the Havel moment and thus prepared the ground for its emancipation from the Soviet fold. 40 years on, some 20 translations of Kundera's essays have appeared within a year, the latest in Thai and Korean, in a phenomenon that suggests it has acquired a new relevance and context tied to the war in Ukraine and the return of the Russia question. Kundera's argument in 1983 was that Russia's represented another civilization centrally historically on the rise of an autocratic imperial state, where religious and political power had merged, leaving little or no space for civil society and autonomy of the cultural sphere, to conditions of freedom as understood by the West. Russia's Europeanization was associated with its westward expansion into Europe. In this perspective, Soviet Russia was the continuation of imperial Russia by others, though sometimes rather similar means. Boone's version provides a synthesis of these two. Russia's war against Ukraine is about the post-imperial unfinished business and its spheres of influence. It's also about the real and imagined cultural and political boundaries in Europe, including the old chestnut about what constitutes Central and Eastern Europe. The second reason for the revived interest in Kundera's essay is Ukraine itself. By launching a war, Russia has become a constitutive has been constitutive for in a ukrainian nation that now shares the fate of what can described as the small nations of central europe whose very survival cannot be taken for granted this existential a- anxiety is not a matter of numbers for historical reasons two million Latvians, 10 million Czechs, and 40 million ukrainians have all differently of course shared that predicament Putin's aggression acted at a- as a catalyst and ukraine now thinks of itself today as part of the kidnapped west As the war redefines political borders and identities, we are being reminded that Lviv used to be Lvov before the Second World War and Lemberg before the First World War. Part of Ukraine used to be in Central Europe as Kundera understood it. Today, not just Lviv, but the whole of Ukraine is is leaning westward, and its nearest west is Central Europe. The irony of history is that including Ukraine, Central Europe, once Kundera kidnapped West, is reinventing itself by expanding eastwards. So, in general sense Central Europe is like Austria Czech you know those kind of places that area right N- mm-hmm. near Germany but between Russia and then of course Eastern Europe is anything right next to Russia in a general sense but of course we used to, sorry
1: we used to call them the Balkan states
0: yeah we still do that. yeah that. and uh the, geogra- the geographical argument for Europe is the Ural Mountains.
1: Yeah, the but Balkans course, are a mountain range, right?
0: Yeah. But of yeah. course there is the, Urals, the yes. question of all the stands, countries.
1: Mm-hmm. Are lot- <laughs> we're, all, we're all just people, man.
0: And also the Caucasus, <laughs> the Caucasus region
1: the Caucasus where we there's get Caucasian from those, that's the mountain. there's
0: a lot of things happening in those countries that are both well, emblematic of European society but also Asian society because funnily enough since you don't have a real border between these areas they kind right. of just synthesize together so natural yeah,
1: geographic features will yeah, do it they're like slightly Asian
0: of, slightly European
1: okay. right and, and I mean, again Caucasus the Caucasus mountains that's where we get Caucasian from yeah so we're that's where white people are always you're a caucasian i'm like well I've that never comes to the from the idea
0: that all europeans yeah. basically came from one and seed the, Indo- <laughs> Indo- the indo-europeans came from the east right
1: there was a there's a european tree and there is an asian tree they live right next to each other and for some reason they never intermingled
0: yeah isn't that amazing? totally <laughs> yeah.
1: all right okay uh, I sent you a link for my story. It's got a picture of what they suppose Bonnie Prince Charlie looks like. I don't know if you. Oh can put yeah, that. let
0: me open that for you. It's
1: it's like the only picture in the story. So, this is from the New York Times. Anuska Patel. Patel. Anushka. All right, this
0: like
1: is the picture name. here. Okay, Jacobite hero Bonnie Prince Charlie gets a fresh face, acne and all. He has one. He is one of, this is from New York Times, Anna Anishka Patel. I already said that. He's one of the most romanticized figures in Scottish history, a charismatic young prince, born and raised in exile, who stirred a Jacobite rising in the Scottish Highlands in a last-ditch attempt to restore his family to the British throne. Though the, 19, the 1745 uprising failed, the prince, Charles Edward Stuart, spelled s-t-u-a-r-t was immortalized in the popular imagination as a tragic hero nicknamed bonnie prince charlie for his good looks a new rec- a new recreation of the prince's face as it might have looked when the, he led to the rebellion is now seeking to humanize the man behind the legend pimples and all the, the recreation made at the University of Dundee in Scotland is a stark departure from how Prince Charles, as played by the actor Andrew Gower, has appeared in the hit television series Outlander. It is also a departure from a traditional portrait that depicted him as a fresh-faced, rosy-cheeked young man. Instead, the new recreation suggests Prince Charles, who was 24 when he led the uprising Just think, when I was 24, well, I was in the Marines, so I can't say I wasn't doing anything. Had a had a plainer appearance, with thinner lips, sunken eyes, and yes, acne. It was produced by Barbara Viscella, a master student of forensic of forensic art and facial imaging. He said she aimed to create the realistic realistic portrayal portrayal of the prince as a regular person with any sort of royal splendor. Miss Viscella's rec- recreation not recreation we'll talk about how she goes skiing later (laughs) (laughs) is based on a 3d model built from hundreds of details photographs of the prince's death mass which were cast after he died in in 1967 he died at 67 in 1788 she used digital sculpting software to reverse facial changes caused by aging, heavy drinking, and the stroke that led to his death. Unlike forensic facial reconstructions, historical reconstructions allow, and in some cases require, researchers to take some creative liberties, Ms. Val Saudia said. She based details that would not have been preserved in a death mass, such as the prince's hair. On contemporaneous accounts and other likenesses believed to have been faithfully faithful depictions, they include a bust made by the 18th-century French sculptor Jean Baptiste Lemoyne, from which she took cues for her re- recreations. Chin length curls. Despite the prince's reputation for being handsome and charismatic, Miss Missalia said she had intentionally included blemishes that were noted in a few historical accounts in an effort to convey that he was not just a mythic hero, but also a complex person as we all are. But we had to give Macney. Just had to. <laughs> I don't think he's bad looking. It's just that the beauty is very subjective, and we definitely have different beauty standards than they would have in the 18th century. The facial shape and structure in the University of Dundee rec- recreation are corroborated by many eyewitnesses' accounts of the rebellion and are likely quite realistic, said Roderick Tulloch, a creator of the Jacobite history who is working to establish a visitor center at the site of the jacobites victory at the battle of falkirk muir one account of the prime of the prince's triumphant seizure of edinburgh in september 1745 for example said he had a high nose and long visage and that his chin was pointed and mouth small in proportion to his features but Mr. Tulloch noted that the same account described the prince's complexion as ruddy in contrast with the sallow and blemish likeness produced at the University of Dundee. The prince is also shown with rosy cheeks in a portrait by the renowned Scottish artist Alan Ramsay, and that is regarded as one of the most accurate likenesses of him, especially compared with official portraits that may have embellished his features. Even staunch opponents described the prince during his time as a good-looking man. Mr. Tulloch added his charisma helped his cause. In a matter of months after arriving in Scotland, he rallied even skeptical Highland clans and assembled a force of thousands to fight the British army. The romanticize, the, run, romanticize, the romanticization, romanticization say that 50 times. <laughs> uh, prince Charles Was also at least partly a response to the ruthlessness of the British forces, particularly at the Battle of Culloden in 1746. Mr. Tollock said an estimated 1,000 Jacobites, or Jacobites, at the battle were slaughtered, which lasted only about 40 minutes and marked the effective end of the rebellion. A lot of Stuarts died there, a lot of our relatives, a lot of our distant, distant relatives maybe not so distant. Probably direct descendants died there. I, I am mean, sorry, direct uh, ancestors. I'm pretty sure at least one. The Prince legend also grew from his subs- subsequent dramatic escape from Scotland, which he managed with the help of a young local woman named Flora MacDonald, disguised who disguised the fugitive prince as an Irish maid and smuggled him to safety by boat. Considered a hero in her own right, McDonald is seen bidding farewell to Prince Charles in a scene long memorialized in tins of shortbread sold by Scottish brand Walkers. The story of the princess' daring escape was also canonized in the Skyboat song, a folk tune that was adopted as a theme song for the Outlander television series. The historical fantasy and romance series became a global phenomenon and has done a huge amount. Pra- raised the profile of Scotland, Scottish history, and the Jacobites, in particular. Mr. Tullock said, and that is a little story on the bonnie prince Charlie. Okay. Known for being bonnie. In other words, in Scotland, that means sparkly, all fancy looking. You know, sparkly, he's so bonnie,
0: so fancy looking,
1: so outstanding. Look at the way he rides that horse.
0: So charismatic. Got everybody going. So charismatic. Okay, well. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, you see in the picture, he looks like Anne Haish. But, you know, (laughs) there you go.
0: Rest (laughs) in peace, Anne Anne Heche. Pergo's uh, updates, intelligence services have reported that it was unlikely that the airplane was shot down by a missile. This is Mm. from NOS News. There is no indication that the Wagner leader Prigozhin's private jet was shot down by an anti-aircraft middle, uh, missile. A, pen- a middle. Pentagon spokesman said at a news conference in Washington. Definitely wasn't a circ- Sorry?
1: I said it definitely wasn't a missile.
0: Yeah, no <laughs> way. Uh, I'm
1: worse. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, reports circulated this week that the aircraft may have been shot down by anti-aircraft fire. Yeah, including me. I also was like, maybe they shot it down. Oh, not. not like we'll ever get the report that they did. You know, they're not going to report. And there was missile fire say, on the outside of the plane.
1: I'd say it was shrapnel from the inside. Yeah, I think it was a bomb on the inside. I yeah.
0: mean, it's quite easy to just pay the pilot to crash the plane or something. I guess he
1: wants to die. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time people have, uh, you know, suicided themselves for you You've the seen cause. him bail
1: out. Maybe he bailed
0: out. <laughs> oh, yeah, he... Why did our pilot just jump out of the
1: Why the is door? there a parachute?
0: Yeah, why did he just parachute out of the plane? Uh, shit. Okay. The Pentagon calls this theory unlikely. We have no information to suggest that the plane was shot down by a missile from the ground, said spokesperson Patrick Ryder. But from the inside, perhaps... <laughs> Shot from a missile from the inside. Who brought a freaking missile launcher into the plane? The Pentagon... Yeah, it remains unclear what happened. Officials from the U.S. and other intelligence services say to the New York Times, among others, that the plane probably crashed after an explosion on board. But this is still unclear on how it was caused. This includes explosives on board or fuel that had been tampered with. The Pentagon would not comment on those theories or whether the deaths of Prigozhin and the other passengers was deliberate. President Biden has said that he suspects the crash was a deliberate attack. I'm not surprised. Not much is happening in Russia that Putin does a hand in. The theory of an explosion on board rather than a missile from the ground is further supported by Russian media coverage. The online news channel Baza, which had good sources in Russian intelligence services, reports that the authorities believe there was a one or two explosives on board. Inhabitants of the... Kuzhenkino, you a village near the place where the plane crashed, also told AP and routers, news agencies, that they did not see a missile. They only heard a bang, and then they saw the plane crash. Anastasia Bucho- Bucharová was walking in the street and with their children, and then I saw the plane explode out of nowhere. In additional coverage, Putin shares his condolences for the family of the Pergozins as he was a talented, talented businessman. Russia President Putin has expressed his condolences to the family of the Wagner led, leader Yevgeny Prigozhin on his death. Putin was called Prigozhin a talented business, businessman whom he has known since the 1990s. It is the first time that Putin has responded to yesterday's incident. Yes. Russian authorities then announced that all 10 occupants of the private jet had died in a crash. The plane was en route from Moscow to St. Petersburg. Immediately, unconfirmed reports emerged that Progozin and his right hand man, Wagner's namesake, Dmitry Utkin, were on, board, were on board and had not survived. In June, the Wagner mercenary army led by Progozin revolted against the Russian army leadership. The troops took the southern Russian city of Rostov-on-Don and advanced towards Moscow, but the advance was called off. Hoon called this mutiny a stab in the back. Purgozin later claimed that had not been his goal to overthrow Putin, but a revolt against Putin's image. The question arose what would be his fate what would be the fate of Purgozin. After Wagner's mutiny, Purgozin was seen in Russia, some of his mercenaries went to Belarus, where Wagner camps were set up. Later Purgozin appeared in a video implying he was in Africa. Putin and Pergosin had been close acquaintances for decades. Pergozin was known as Putin's cook. After years in prison, he built an empire of fast food chains and restaurants. In one of his restaurants, Putin received world leaders such as French President Ch- Chirac and US President Bush. Later, Pergozin's role grew significantly to such an extent that the New York Times called him Putin's go-to oligarch for dirty jobs. He ke- became the leader of the Wagner Group, the mercenary army that under his leadership, was of great importance to Russians in the war against Ukraine. In May, for example, the symbolically important Battle of Bakhmut was won by Wagner's mercenaries. So, there's a little history, there's a little context, and uh, we'll see what this means for the rest of the Wagner mercenary group, if they're going to get a new leader, or if they're just going to disperse and be forced to join the actual infantry as normal conscripted units, I guess.
1: My my guess is that they're going to all go to the Sudan or uh, Ecuador or someplace like that. Let's let's join one of these factions and make some money, because they're soldiers (laughs) of fortune. Yeah. That's who they be. They're like, you know, rolling the headless Thompson gunner, soldier (laughs) of fortune. And in more criminal news, uh, we have our winner from the Squeal of Fortune appears again. Ironically, he has become a squealer. This is from Salon magazine, and the byline is Tatiana Tandanpoli. Tandanpoli, Tatiana. It's another name I like. I should have named one of my kids Tatiana. What do you? What do you want? What do you want a new name? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'll just have to have another kid, or maybe buy a pet, maybe a cat, maybe <laughs> Tatiana. Maybe a giant Iguana, I mean, an Iguana its even better. Okay, David Schafer, this is our Wheel of Fortune winner. I want to start Wheel of Fortune winner. David Schaefer, a former chairman of Georgia's Republican Party and one of the 19 people charged in the Georgia 2020 election interference case, claimed on Monday court filing that he and the other Republican electors who attempted to falsely certify a victory for Donald Trump were acting at the direction of the former president. Yes, he's squealing. As defendants in the far-reaching indictment began to surrender to authorities ahead of Friday's deadline, Schaefer's position signals that some may be poised to turn on the former president, Axios reports. Mr. Schaefer and the other Republicans' electors in the 2020 election acted at the direction of the incumbent president and other federal officials' lawyers for the former GOP chairman wrote in the filing. Attorneys for President and Mr. Schaefer specifically instructed Mr. Schaefer verbally and in writing that the Republican electors meeting and casting their ballots on December 14, 2020 was consistent with counsel's advice and was necessary to preserve the presidential election contest they added. Schaefer and 15 other Republican electors met at Georgia's Capitol on December 14, 2020 and signed a document falsely declaring that Trump had won the state, which is illegal. Legal. Schaefer had portrayed himself as the chairperson of Georgia's electoral college and filed a fake slate of 16 pro Trump electors on December 2020, according to the New York Times. Schaefer is facing eight charges in the Georgia indictment, including false statements and writings forgery in the first degree and impersonating a public officer. In addition to some of the electors and the slew of other alleged conspirators, Trump and several of his former attorneys have also been charged in relation to their alleged roles in attempting to subvert the election results. The former Republican Party chair, like co-defendants Jeffrey Clark and Mark Meadows, is trying to have his state-level case transferred to federal court which would place the case under authority of a federal judge and potentially pull a more sympathetic jury pool. They're just trying anything. We need your help this... No, oh, I'm sorry, that's that's an ad. Clark Cunningham, a law professor at Georgia State University, told CNN that, that the filing could be devastating for the former president. Schaefer explicitly places... Explicitly places... Explicitly places... He says that twice... I'm going to repeat a quote. That's why he says it twice. Schaefer explicitly places, explicitly places, the entire responsibility for the fake electoral scheme squarely on Donald Trump, Cunningham explained. He says, I was acting as a person at his personal direction... He does that because he's trying to get into federal court under the law that says even if you're not an officer of the United States, if you're acting under the officer's direction, you can get federal, you can get to federal court. He's making that statement to get to federal court. at The same time implicating Trump directly in the fake elector scheme which is a hell of a deal to try. Schaefer also gained widespread attention on social media early Wednesday when he posted on his mugshot on to social media and made his profile pic. They made it his profile picture after surrendering to Fulton County's authorities overnight. He was one of the two offenders to turn themselves in early Wednesday. Former Coffee County GOP GOP chair Kathy Latham, who is alleged to have partaken in an effort to copy sensitive election software in 2021 was also one of the 16 fake electors is the other one to turn herself in Wednesday. According to 11 Alive as of 11am Eastern Time on August 26th six total defendants have surrendered well this is, this is outdated, I think they've all basically surrendered by now and that is the story of one more on the squeal of fortune as we nice. knock these off one at a time well, it would be not mr. nice david, to say, but mr david Schaefer is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law that's our disclaimer
0: yes this is just we're just reporting what's happened not this is condemning. just reading
1: those stories my friends
0: yep Alright, speaking of news, let's go into our cultural news about Charles Dickens overrun with rats. Charles Dickens Museum Illuminates Author's Factory stint. That's right, he had to base his books off of something, and that was as a writer you probably ended up working him in a factory and freaking What when was this? I don't know, that era of London. I don't remember what the name of the time the time it's called but that that time charles dickens london (laughs) it was an experience that ruptured his childhood but shaped his life's work 200 years ago 11 year old charles dickens was taken out of school to work in a rat infested factory on the banks of the thames to support his family and his father who sank into debt Now the Charles Dickens Museum in London is marking the bicentenary of the bleak period of the author's childhood by displaying letters from his father that illustrate the difficulties in the father-son relationship. The museum is also displaying early editions of The Life of Charles Dickens, the three-volume biography of the author by his friend John Forster that revealed the grim facts of his childhood. In September 1823, the young Dickens was removed from school and sent to work 10 hours a day, six days a week, at Warren's blacking Factory near where Charing T- Crossing Station is today. A few months later, John Dickens, Charles' father, was arrested and imprisoned for three months in Lissy's debtor's prison in Borough. The young Charles spent a year fixing labels to bottles of blacking or boot polish, never spoke of the experience, but wrote an account of it for Foster. The biography was published two years after Dickens' death. Dickens wrote, it is, it is wonderful to me how I could have been so easily cast away at such an age. It is wonderful to me that even after my descent into the poor little drudge I had been since we came to London, no one had a compassion enough on me, a child of singular abilities, quick, eager and delicate, and soon hurt bodily or mentally to suggest that something might have been spared the blacking factory was a crazy tumble down old house a building of course on the river and literally overrun with rats its wainscoted room and its rotten floors and staircase the old gray rats swarming down the cellars and the sound of their squeaking and scuffling coming up the stairs at all times and the dirt and the decay of the place rise up visibly before me as if i were there again he also recalled one of his fellow child laborers, one of them came up in a ragged apron and paper cap on the first Monday morning to show me the trick of using the string and tying the knot. He was named Bob Fagin, and I took the liberty of using his name long afterwards in Oliver mm. Twist. One of the letters from John Dickens was written in June 1834, another year of acute financial difficulty for the family. In it, John Dickens makes an urgent appeal to Joseph Parkers, a politician, to help find Charles a job, vouching for his son competence in every respect. The second was written in 1843, when Dickens was established and indeed famous author, to ask Charles publisher Chapman and Hall to send him a copy of his son's forthcoming book, American Notes. I understand, for I have not seen that advertisement, you have announced this new new work for publication in about a week. As it will be very painful for me to be left in ignorance of its contents and fearing that I may be overlooked at a such distance, I have to solicit the favor of you by sending me a copy by Coach. Frankie Kubicki, senior curator at Charles Dickens Museum, said, The 11-year-old boy who walked to work from the lodgings in Camden and South Fork every morning experienced the ugliness of factory life and received a permanent mental imprint of the hardship that was lurking to find improvised children in the capital city. In his later works, the blacking factory looms large, not only as a significant backdrop to David Copperfield, but as a driving force behind the creation of a hapless child victim in his stories such as the must loved character Oliver Twist. His position at the factory was to damage his relationship with his parents for the rest of his life. His father's continuing money problems only further deepened this void. The items which we are showing make the experience palpable and enable us to see the damaging effects of poverty on the child's life and close-knit family. The items will be displayed at the museum from August 25th until January 21st, so feel free to visit the Charles Dickens Museum in London that you can see how awful it was to industrial London, I guess. Industrialized London. How awful was it grow up there in the smoke, smoggy environment in the eighteen hundreds.
1: Oh Dickinson. What Dickinsonian times is it Yeah, even?
0: Dickinsonian times. Dickens
1: became part of our lexicon at some point. Yeah. Like we say. That little Dickens or we're having a Dickens of a time. I always we'll be able to explore how that got into our uh, you know our vernacular yeah I like saying vernacular I'm just (laughs) vernacular
0: vernacular just means like common speech
1: I was gonna ask you do they pronounce it Thames in London or because I've always called the river the Thames I've always called it the Thames Thames.
0: yeah maybe the Thames Thames, sorry I'm terrible at reading it's okay because it it (laughs) should be
1: it should be pronounced Thames it should be why isn't it called Thames Thames makes no sense
0: I don't Maybe think the it's an accent it. thing. It's an
1: accent thing. I think thing. The, the Romans named it. Let's blame the Romans.
0: Okay.
1: Ah. Bloody Romans. All right. And what happened on this day in history? 325. The Council of Nicaea. I think that's how it's pronounced. The first ecumenical council of the Christian church called by Emperor Constantine I brought to an end. The controversy of Iranianism. Concluding that God the Father was the equal status with God the Son. Okay, well, as long as they settle that. I don't know. 1530 <laughs> 1530, Ivan the IV, Fourth, also known as Ivan the Terrible, Grand Prince of Moscow, and the first Tsar of Russia, was born on this day, August 25th, 1835, New York. The New York Sun began running a series of news accounts that falsely claimed that British astronomer John Herschel has observed all sorts of life on the moon, including a winged human creatures about four feet tall. It became known as the Great Moon Hoax, although the sun never retracted the stories. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say them people just went into and hiding. And they're still on the moon. <laughs> Why not? Let's just make something. Let's go. Let's get a QAnon thing going. 1900. German classical scholar, philosopher, and critic of culture, Friedrich Nietzsche, one of the most influential of all modern thinkers, died at the age of 55 in 1900. He planned it that way. He wanted to die right in the zeros. 1916, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson signed the Organic Act, which established the National Park Service. In 1919, George Wallace, racist governor of Alabama, was born in Silo Alabama. In 1945, John Birch, the American Baptist mission, missionary and U.S. Army intelligence officer, was killed by Chinese communists, which later inspired the foundation of the John Birch Society, a private organization that is considered Birch to be the first hero of the Cold War and the John Birch Society decided all that anybody that didn't agree with anything they said was a communist. That was their entire platform and they're still running our politics today. If you disagree with somebody on their point of view, you're a communist. Doesn't even matter what your point of view is. You're just a communist. We're not going to debate it. In 2009, Senator Ted Kennedy last surviving brother of JFK, John F. Kennedy, died at the age of 77 on this day. In 2012, U.S. astronaut Neil Armstrong died on this day at the age of 82. Neil, famously the first person to walk on the moon and meet all them creatures. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> also dying on this day, and this is the day that Ted Kennedy died, the day that the day that... Who else died here? Uh, Frederick Nietzsche died. Ted Kennedy died. Neil Armstrong died. John McCain died. Yes, yeah. John McCain also died on this day. American politician, John McCain, who developed a reputation of a political maverick while serving in Congress for some 35 years during his failed bid for presidency in 2008. he died on this day in 2018 at the age of 81. And our... Featured event 1944. Paris was liberated. Woohoo! On this day, 1944, Woo! some two months after Allied invasion of Normandy, and Paris was liberated. German occupiers was liberated from Ger- German occupiers as Free French Second Armored Division under General Jacques Philippe Leclerc entered the city, and the biggest party ever started. And famous, oh, and famous birthdays today. Sean Connery, it's Sean Connery's birthday. <laughs> August 25th, 1930, Sean Connery was born. in Edinburgh, Scotland. Tim Burton, also born in 1958. Elvis Costello, birthday, 1954. Regis Philbin, American television personality, was born in 1931. We already covered Sean Connery and George Wallace. And what day is it today? What day is it? It is National Park Service Founders Day. As we said uh, earlier, Woodrow Wilson signed that declaration on this day. It's National Banana Split Day. National Whiskey and Sour Day. Those don't go together too well and it is national secondhand wardrobe day as we mentioned earlier so i'm gonna go that's out and, my entire no life matter, that's me too man i'm gonna go out and find stuff in the street and wear it
0: <laughs>
1: and it's national kiss and makeup day so this kind of you got an argument ma- yep kiss and make out no matter who they are even if they got <laughs> even if they look like barney prince charlie with acne all over their faces kiss them and mega and again this is the day we liberated France uh I'm sorry Paris so the allies liberated Yep. Paris and there was a lot of kissing (laughs) alright that's it
0: alright then this has been Allison here from the Netherlands excited to go into the weekend see some friends visit some friends and uh get in a fight I guess kiss and make up (laughs) there was no food in that daily thing was there so I don't know what to eat today I guess
1: (laughs) and if you're reclaiming clothes make sure you wash them thoroughly because you don't worry and
0: don't wear someone's old underwear don't recommend that (laughs) for sure
1: unless it's it's officially that day then wear someone else's underwear day you can do that alright
0: we'll see you next week to find out what happened over the weekend
1: yeah, we'll see you Monday, where we successfully wasted an hour of your time. But that's it for today. On August twenty fifth, twenty twenty three edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels: Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old.